Hello everyone, it's Carl here from Games Brains of Life, GBHBull.com for sure. And with Francis Roberts, vocalist and guitarist of, well, how would you say, eccentric rock band, King Gorm? <laughs> I think that's the <laughs> most simple way I can put it. Are we eccentric? I'm not, I'm not even sure what eccentric means these days. Um, <laughs> I suppose we have a lot of songs that are uh, sort of <laughs> different from each other on the album. <laughs> That's it. I would, uh, I would say eccentric. Just look at, look at the images. If, you, if people are watching and listening and unsure of quite what King Gorm could be, just go look at a couple of pictures. And I think that might create uh, a great bedrock to start with. Um, Francis, it's obviously a pleasure to absolutely speak with you. Uh, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing um, fantastically, uh, aside from, uh, you know, living in <laughs> the United States during this pandemic. <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> oh, you are obviously in the America. Um, how's life then been? It's the elephant in the room. We can't start any interview without talking about it first. How has life been for you for the past couple of months, just in general with this pandemic? I, I feel guilty saying it, but I, I've been I've been fine. Yeah. Um, I, uh, lucky almost, um, just, uh, this is, this is what I live in. So I'll, I'll show you real quick. <laughs> so it's trash on the floor, like five guitars, mixing console synthesizers and, uh, recording computer. And there's the Hammond organ over there and some amplifiers. So, <laughs> um, lucky me. I, studio. I, yes, exactly. So. So I've um, I've I've actually recorded a couple of albums since the pandemic began, and um, I even played some live streaming shows with decent sound quality, and uh, just uh, almost done with another album <laughs> on top of the ones that I've already done. So I, I'm just I'm just being very productive right now, just keeping my mind off of off of not being able to go to the pub, as you call it there. <laughs> we call it bars here, obviously. <laughs> oh my goodness. A couple of albums. Is this all um, King Gorm stuff, or is it just no? Um, I have a few projects that I that I um, write for. Um, the probably the most the most well known one up until um, we put the King Gorm album out is probably Old Man Wizard. It's uh, it's, it's I guess uh, somewhat similar stylistically uh, musically. Uh, mm. it's, it's like same style of music I, I'm, I'm singing and playing guitar and writing the music so it's 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 similar in that way there's no uh, there's no organ uh in the band so it's uh sounds a bit different and it's a different drummer and a different bass player but yeah um that's uh i'm almost done with writing an album for that project i've put out an ep with um i've got an electronic project called uh yagashura and that one's like uh it's like progressive rock meets electronic music very wow. like synthwave and video game inspired but um it also sounds a bit like maybe pink floyd or something at times oh, um that's a fascinating description it's i don't know if it's a good one <laughs> i'm not good at describing my own music and then i have i've got like a like a sort of a dark ambient like dungeon synth type of a project as well that i constantly just dump stuff on the internet it's almost like i almost treat it as a warm-up project when i'm going to start writing music i'll um try to test some sounds and i'll i'll make something to see if the sounds are uh, delightful to me. <laughs> if okay. they are, I'll just I'll just throw it on Bandcamp and uh, and then I'll write some music for one of the projects that's a bit more complicated. <laughs> My goodness, there's so many um, eggs in in one basket. How do you split them all apart? How do you differentiate beyond the obvious where something's Dungeon Synth and something's King's King's um, Gorm or something's Old Man Wizard? How do you differentiate between the the say for example Old Man Wizard and King Gorm then? Um, that's actually like a, a, I think an interesting question because, um, at first I didn't, I was, I usually I'll just write songs and, um, 
then if the song feels like it goes in my band i'll put it there and if not then maybe i'll try to make it work on an acoustic guitar and take it to an oven mic night and um then forget about it forever mm. <laughs> <laughs> but um with that with uh king gorm um i started the uh, well i had i had sort of started a a band uh like a progressive rock type of a band with a couple of friends um many years ago and um a couple of the uh, songs on the king gorm album started there uh that band didn't really work out um and maybe we had um one and a half of those songs became king gorm songs eventually okay but the, the bulk of the album was actually written in one day um oh, wow i i had um i had some friends that were doing like a like a songwriting challenge where they were trying to write 20 songs in in, in 12 hours and i um i i went for it one day just to see what it was like and uh the the output as you can imagine was uh worse than garbage <laughs> it's just like um qu quantity over quality in every way and i thought um it was a fun exercise and uh and uh, I, the biggest surprise that came out of that was realizing that it was possible for me to write 20 songs in 12 hours um even if they weren't good i didn't like any of them yeah um, so i i tried again a few weeks later with um <laughs> cutting it down to four songs <laughs> and actually uh three of those four songs ended up on the king gorm album in in their entirety uh, I rearranged them for the band and stuff, but um, the songs themselves were were written in that that one day, um, and some of the ideas from the fourth one I, I think ended up on the album as well. So um, that was just kind of like a exercise, and it was before there was a band to go with them. And what ended up happening was I um, I think I showed the songs to Old Man Wizard and said, "Hey, uh, would you want to record these with me?" Um, and uh, I think the answer was that they were a little bit too, like, a little bit too sword and sorcery and corny, even for Old Man Wizard. <laughs> um, so we ended up just uh, not doing that. And I thought, you know, it, it would be fun to do. Uh, um, I, so I originally, the band was originally going to be um, uh, drums, bass, vocals, and three electric guitars. Ooh. Um, and I decided that I didn't want that many people in a band. I don't mm. think I could get along with six people in, in a band again, because I, I used to be in a, in a nine-piece band. That was a uh, absolute uh, a fucking nightmare. I'm, I, you don't have any, like, uh, children watching, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's where well, Mark's an 18 channel, so swearing is well, really an issue. Um, <laughs> children say fuck anyway these days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, um I uh, I've seen a friend. Uh, I have a few friends that play in like the the video game tribute music mu video game music tribute scene. Um, I don't know if you have one of those in England, but uh, we've got some bands here that will do songs from old N Nintendo games and stuff. And um, some of my friends were playing in a band that had uh, you know guitars and keyboards and would use sort of a guitar sounding patch on the on the synthesizer to uh, do a, like a harmonized lead with the guitar. And mm. it sounds like a guitar lead if you put the guitar on, on top. And it sounds like a synthesizer if you put the guitar on the bottom. So you put the two notes together and you end up with the combined uh, timbre of those two instruments. And um, I realized that like, oh, I can get that sort of like Iron Maiden, um, which is pretty style double, double guitar lead sound uh, with a guitar and a synthesizer. And you know, a synthesizer can sit on top of an organ. That's what they used to do in the seventies, right? Mm -hmm. So no one does that anymore. Um, well, some people do, but very, it's, it's less common, I think these days. And um, so I was like, uh, how do you get a good organ sound? And I was playing around with plugins on my computer and stuff and um, got sick of it. I couldn't, couldn't get an organ to sound good, so I went and bought a Hammond. <laughs> and the cool thing about those is 
even though you can get there are uh, these days I'll, I'll admit that there are very believable Hammond sounds on the computer you can get them through like uh, Native Instruments makes a good one and Arturia makes a good one but um, the thing about a computer program is that you can't set a synthesis on top of it <laughs> do, yeah. and, and an organ just requires one uh, it, it's its own stand really <laughs> mm. so you can set whatever synth you want on top of it so I um, I figured you know like the organ will play the part that I had for the rhythm guitar the synth will play the part that I had for the lead guitar and then the other guitar will play the other the other leads and um, that's that's what happened is I, I took those three guitar songs and I rebuilt them for a uh, a keyboard player with two different keyboards on mm. stacked on top of each other and uh that, that's where we ended up and i i was going to record the album asked one of my friends if he wanted to play bass and drums on it uh and that's uh, eric who is the bass player in king gorm and he was like you know what? we should find a we should find a, a drummer and a keyboard player and just actually record the album instead of doing it part by part yeah um so we ended up doing it live um and we we took put a band together and uh did some shows um and went to a studio um, and put everything in the room together and we just overdubbed the vocals. We just recorded all the instruments live. We didn't multi-track any of it really. Oh really, okay. Yeah. Came up very, very well then considering the um, the DIY aesthetic to that. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's um, after doing it, I realized that that's a big piece of that, like, you know, that classic sound. Um, I, I've always tried to get that on a, on a computer with like tape emulation plugins and stuff like that. And I didn't realize that a big piece of it is the, the bleed, the microphone bleed of, you know, like the drums are picking up a little bit of the organ and the, mm. the bass is picking up a little bit of the guitar, you know, uh, all the instruments are, are there being played at the same time. And it, um, you can't really, it's hard to recreate that sort of crosstalk between the different instruments in a recording uh, artificially. Yeah, it's fascinating. You, you know, you're obviously very technologically um, astute and turned on to what's required and what you can use in modern music. Yet you obviously realized and employed uh, traditional things from certain eras, that bygone eras. It's incredible. It turned out that way. Yeah, I mean, we went to the studio and we said we want it to sound as much like Machine Head as you can do. And then <laughs> the, the engineer said, well, lucky you, we've actually got the same model of tape machine that they used on that album. So <laughs> oh, fantastic. we used this, the, the, same, the same 16 track that was used on that, on, on that Deep Purple record. Not the same exact one, obviously, but uh, the same, the same uh, make and model. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't, if it was the same one, it'd be a bit dusty by now, I'd imagine. Oh, I'm sure some of them are. I think the console uh, was owned previously by Sublime and then before that by Leonard Skinner. <laughs> so like uh, when you when you record on like vintage equipment like that, the, the, the stuff that you end up recording on is kind of a <laughs> kind of a big dusty joke um, unless it's maintained well. Yeah, yeah. But it's historic as well. I mean, that challenge as well, going back to that, it, I've never heard of it done with music. I've only heard of something like that done with uh, video games, funny enough, you know, like a 48 hour game jam where the idea is to make a, a mobile game in 48 hours. So uh, do you just, it seems like you just enjoy constantly challenging yourself. Um, I, uh, I wouldn't say that I enjoy it, but I feel compelled to do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the compelling like nature. I've done that. I've done one of those game jams before because it seemed like a good idea. Um, ended up with something that was playable but not not excellent. Uh, I did this like the sounds and the music for it, and it was it was fun. It was a fun experience. Um, I would do it again. I've heard those like, things can be rough. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I take a take a break for a few weeks be between <laughs> attempts. <yeah. laughs> so 
you know, back to sort of COVID times, did it make building towards the release of the debut album? Because obviously 31st of July, um, you were building towards it throughout. Did that make it any more difficult? Um, that's a, I don't know. Mm. Um, I'd like to think that the album would have um, been well received um, with or without a pandemic. Mm. But I, I have a feeling that, um, I, that um, people are more receptive right now to things that are happening on the internet. Yeah. And um, and I think that uh, we may have actually um, had a bit of a boon by releasing it right now, um, just uh, because people are actually on their social media looking for something new and something new to watch, something new to listen to and um, experience. And, you know, we'd actually, we, we recorded the album, I think in, in 2018 um, and didn't have a, a label to put it out. We, we ended up on a, um, like a small Canadian label and uh, mm. they dropped us for uh, person, personal reasons with the, the, the label owner had a, a medical emergency and had to drop all of his new releases basically. Um, and it was kind of like a no hard feelings, but we can't do this right now. Um, and I was going to self-release it, sort of got carried away and doing some other stuff. Um, we had a, a band member left the band and we were going to try to put together a new band so we could tour on the album before releasing it. And then a pandemic happens and, I was supposed to be on tour, so I had basically canceled my entire life for two weeks or so to do a, a solo tour, um, playing uh, some of the like synthesizer music that I do, um, and that got canceled because all the flights got canceled and everything got canceled basically, right? Yeah. And then I had like a week and a half, two weeks to <laughs> to do absolutely fuck all, right? And, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, right around then, I got a I got a, a message from from Dylan, the drummer, and he was like, "Are we going to release the album or what?" And I'm like, "Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> let's do it." <laughs> I've actually got time to put it together. So I put together like a self release, and um, then we uh, put together like a like a PR campaign, and um, finally like put out the first single, put out a music video, and within a few hours of the music video um, being on the internet. I got hit up by like I think three record labels wanting to put it out on LP, and uh, that's nothing even close to that has ever happened to me before. I've, I've always had to like be the one that reaches out to the label, and it was just like, holy shit! Like, what <laughs> what's going on here? Do yeah. is this actually as good as as good as you're making it me feel like it might be? And uh, I you know, I think that it's it's a it's a pretty good album. It's one, I think it's one of the better things that I've put out. But um, I was just really blown away by the positive reaction that. Um, that it was getting right from the right from the get go like that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask because we've had about two weeks now for being being out um, in the public spectrum. Not so much the labels and all that. From a fan perspective and people who know your work and so on, how have you found that reaction? Do you pay much attention to the comments and the feedback that you get online? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I look at, um, I see most of it, and I think that that um, like. I, I think people don't realize it, but that's that seems to be true on much higher levels than than myself. Even like like um, people that are actually quite famous uh, are pretty aware of <laughs> of that stuff. And I, I've toured with bands that are more more popular than I am, and you know, like they'll be in the bus and um, they'll be on their phone looking at comments and Facebook messages and uh, <laughs> looking at hashtags on Twitter and Instagram and uh, making jokes about 
like making up stories about the people's lives that are making these um these oh, these sad say. like uh like self self-defeating comments and you know like <laughs> you can always you can tell so much about someone by how much um how mean they're willing to be to strangers on the internet <laughs> mm -hmm. yep <laughs> That's always a fascinating uh, side to it. Obviously, you've got a balance of, oh, you've got so much positivity, but the loudest voices, more than any, are often the negative voices. Um, oh God, how yeah. do you handle that side of things? Do you just laugh it off? It depends. Um, it, it really does. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things uh, to do with that. I, um, I'm trying to think of some of the most negative things, that, negative remarks I've seen about um, this or something else um i don't know i think i'm I, I don't know if i'm successful enough to attract that kind of negativity okay it seems like it, those those really negative remarks seem to come more and more often um the more popular you get the more the more money you're making the more fans you have uh i think people that make those types of remarks are often just uh, jealous of the position and my position isn't really something to be especially jealous of i'm not <laughs> you know i'm not exactly making a living at um, this album is <laughs> not paying my bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, if it was, maybe I'd get more negative remarks. But maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about that too. <laughs> no, I think you've nailed a certain element in the sense that uh, when you're well, you know you've you know you've made it when your comment section is just filled with people telling you how much you suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are you here listening to it if it sucks? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's a fascinating concept, kind of behind King Gorm from a certain aspect bard like tales fantasy based with a modern spin on classic rock um was that something that you kind of like like you, you thought yeah that's what i'm going to focus on or was it just something that naturally fell into your your lap when it came to it um well as far as the lyrics go uh from pretty early on i, I had the idea of like putting together like a fantasy setting mm -hmm. that the lyrics would take place and uh, i think those types of devices are really helpful in writing songs um excuse me I don't think almost nobody has enough uh, personal experiences to, you know, have a constant output of uh, of very personal, honest songs. Fair and, enough. Uh, yeah. And if you can um, uh, employ some of the devices that that uh, that fiction writers use to have an output of uh, magazine articles or novels or whatever it is, um, games and movies, um, you can take the experiences of those characters, which are often, you know, like you could you draw parallels between those characters that you can invent in your own experiences and your friends' experiences. But uh, by employing those types of devices, I think that you can, you can put a lot more music out, um, write a lot more lyrics. So I, I would say some of the songs are, um, the fantasy theme is an afterthought, but some of them it's sort of the driving force behind like what makes this tick or how did I, how did I put this together? And so what would it be? Would it be a matter of, I don't know, you watched something or read something or played something and you thought, okay, and it triggered something in your brain in regards to the ones that you say you focused on and the four fantastic, more fantastical elements? Um, I think that um, stuff that I, um, that I read and play has a little bit more to do with uh, the way that I write uh, fantasy-driven lyrics than, um, than stuff that I watch. I feel like if you're watching like a TV show or a movie, it's uh, that that idea has already been realized so clearly and vividly that uh, there's not too much left to do with it um, in a lot of situations. Uh, it, it's it's always surprising to me how many people have like explicitly Lord of the Rings themed music 
for example. And it's like, uh, there's, I don't know. Uh, I can see why they do it. It's a, it's a fun theme. It's a, it's a great um, world building. Um, yeah. But um, there's excellent films, uh, excellent uh, all kinds of media relating yeah. to it. So <laughs> I don't, uh, I'd rather like make something else uh, instead. And, you know, there's definitely some influence from, from something like that. Uh, but there's also going to be influence from more obscure things. Um, whatever random stuff that I've, that I've picked up or read along the way or games that I've played, even, even uh, tabletop role-playing mm -hmm. games, things like that. I've got a, a background with like uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons and, and stuff in that genre. Fascinating. I love that because you're right. Um, there are hundreds, if not thousands of bands that can go and cover the Skyrim theme song and the likes and do variations on Game of Thrones or The Witcher and stuff like that. So it's that more obscure stuff, as you said, um, that I personally find way more interesting, even if I don't necessarily know what it is or I'm aware of what the, the um, selling point or what it is that inspired you, it's still going to get my attention and another variation on the Lord of the Rings theme that was done in the movie so bloody well. Mm -hmm. um, what about comparisons then? Because um, comparisons are inevitable and comparisons are easily made towards King Bork Gorman, like say Rainbow, Deep Purple. It's based off the sound more than anything else, Witchy Blackmore and so on. It's inevitable, but I don't think it's something that should that defines King Gorm, at least what I'm aware of from the album. How did you balance then the kind of all right, it's gonna have a classic classic rock stylings, but it's gonna be done in a more modern setting from a modern band? How did you um balance that? Um well I like I said, I, I uh, before I, I wrote the songs uh mm -hmm. without that instrumentation in mind. Um and at some point I decided, I, I was thinking about like, if, oh, if, if I'm going to put together a, a new band for this music, um, what's the, what's the, uh, the best band? Like what's yeah. the best overall sound? Like, uh, like, uh, cause when you have a band, you have to think about a few things. Like obviously you can get like the best studio quality sound if you have everything that you want. Uh, right. You can look at the, the, the rosters on maybe like a, like a Michael Jackson tour. Um, and you look at what the band is and it's like, you know, it's, it's uh, drums, bass, guitar, guitar, sometimes like a third guitar, at least three keyboard players, um, like an army of backup vocalists, backup dancers. And it's just like, how do you make it sound like a studio album? Mm -hmm. um, and well, that's, that's wonderful um, if you have the money for it um, and the time for it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to, um, there's an interesting thing that comes with, uh, with success, um, which is that um if you are making as much money as someone like that yeah suddenly you have uh the band size that you want is something that you actually can't organize without paying them like right. you can't there's there's no good way to have like a 15 piece band um and actually have all of their schedules line up unless everyone's getting paid to be there um mm -hmm. and when you're on a low level the the most important piece of being in a band i think is to make sure that the schedules can line up so that you can actually get together and and do the do the music <laughs> yeah. um <laughs> yeah so uh, I, I I thought that maybe um, I've I've done um, three piece bands, four piece bands. Um, I don't think I've ever been. No, I've been in a five piece band, six piece, seven piece, eight piece, nine piece, um, and I've done duo. So I've done I've done everything from one to nine people. Mm. And I think that the the sweet spot for like being able to uh, you know put out sound and have like a like a big full sound um, and like an 
engaging stage show and um, and having the schedules uh, able to line up somehow is ar around four. Yeah. Um, th three is great for scheduling. It's really easy to do, but uh, usually there's there's something uh, a, a little bit brittle about the sound. Um, but yeah, I thought that the four piece would be a solid a solid place to go there. And thinking about four piece bands, how do you make a four piece that works? You can think of like you know, Metallica, Megadeth, a band like that that's got um, you know, guitar, guitar, bass, drums, sort of a classic yeah. heavy metal lineup. Uh, it works really well, um, but it's a bit thin uh, when there's uh, when both guitars are playing melody. I think yeah. um, live, like you know, you listen to the Metallica records and they they recognize that and they'll they'll record an extra guitar part behind the double leads to to fill in the sound. And um, you know the the four piece sound that I think I decided works the best was that 1970s sound. Yeah. Um, and it, the cool thing about that is that it just sort of started getting ignored after after people stopped using uh, organs because they're big and clunky. They they fell out of fashion. Right. People stopped bringing Hammonds to gigs probably in the uh, in the 80s at some point when you had uh, other uh, like it became inexpensive to use polyphonic synthesizers basically and samplers things like that. Um, but how many excellent albums are there with a Hammond organ, a guitar, a drummer, and a bass player? And you could set a synthesizer on top or a Mellotron next to the the organ. Just have a keyboard player and have a guitar player and have a bass player and have a drummer. And there's a lot of great albums, but there aren't as many as I think there should be. And there, not, or there aren't as many as there could be either. <laughs> so uh, what I ended up doing is saying like, you know, I, I don't think that um, like, you know, like 1978 Rainbow, um, or Pink Floyd in that same era, like that that four piece lineup is like people just stop doing that because it's inconvenient, not because it's yeah. bad. It's really just like no one can bring without having an army of roadies. Like Pink Floyd would bring multiple Leslies to gigs. Those things are, God, they're they're like a, over a hundred pounds. Yeah, um, and they'd bring like a you know a synth for every patch. Like in, in these days, people will just bring one keyboard and just next 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 um and that's so much more convenient but it's like the fact that it's such un so unlimited in sound makes it like makes the keyboard sort of feel like an afterthought or like yeah. a, a backup for the band whereas if you have an organ um you're basically stuck with that sound so you might as well just write it into the music yeah, yeah, yeah. take <laughs> so, full advantage of that yeah exactly so it's like the the mono synth like the classic synth sound where you can only play one note at a time and then the organ where that's like a huge chord instrument where the guitar can stop playing and the, the band still sounds big and fat. Um, I thought that that was like the sound to, to try using and it took forever to put it together. But it, um, I really, I really enjoy that, that type of lineup. Um, I think it, I think it sounds good. And I think that you can write any, any song and, and make it work in that sound and you can take any song and cover it in that style and it works. So the, uh, the classic rock sound was kind of like, not related to the to the writing of the music at all which mm. like that was the the band that i thought of that i that i felt that i could arrange any song to sound good in so with that though um a ge generic description for king gorp sent out to a if someone's looking say on one of the spotify or apple music or whatever and they might see the term that's described for king gorm underneath then it'll say something like classic rock which for some people kind of automatically dates you, even though obviously you're quite a modern band. Is, is that a hurdle for King Gorm, do you think? Um, maybe. Mm. Um, I think that 
it's 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 really hard to say um you've seen bands uh become wildly successful uh using that type of a genre tag um like i, th I think the darkness is a band that comes to mind as far yeah. as like a band a band that sort of feels retro mm. uh that has still fairly modern songwriting and uh and did pretty well um but again they um they they took that and used it as a bit of a novelty and um put too much money into advertising and then they had to like sort of scale back really fast yeah. otherwise they would go bankrupt right um so i think that it, what happens is it's a it's a it, you have to be careful with something like that because you can use it as a cheap ticket to get in front but once you're there um it the novelty will wear off quickly yeah so um i i'm trying to be careful with that and not not like you know overextend um in case you know if, if something were to catch on that it's like oh shit how do we how do we make this a sustainable thing uh you can't just like hang on to like one little novelty you have to make sure the other stuff is um is going to stick and you know i, I think the king gorm album is good but i don't think it's um it's like radio rock or anything like that um i wouldn't uh, i would be hesitant to um like try to push it into the mainstream if, I, if yeah. I was offered like a giant advertising budget or something or a major label deal i would probably feel like we would need to change the sound a bit um or the production right. style to make it to make it um more accessible for people that aren't like you know fringe genre fans or like um the kind of people that put on an LP and listen to it front to back. Cause I know most listeners these days are more casual listeners, right? So you're just putting on a Spotify playlist or something and hoping yeah. a song you like comes on. So One having like these long interlude tracks doesn't really, doesn't really uh, work well for that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, I like your thinking and that. Um, it's interesting as well. Cause I was going to say about the modern bands that perhaps you maybe look at and think, okay, that would be something worth, not necessarily emulating, but something to kind of go, this can work for them. You already mentioned the darkness. And I've seen one of the things that's popped up a fair bit um, as another comparative one, and I wonder how you feel about it, is Ghost. Oh, sure, yeah, that has been getting thrown around with this. Hmm. Um, and so I, I actually first heard about Ghost um, through my old band, uh, my, my old man wizard uh, band um and uh, we played a show i don't know how long ago kind of a long time ago now and after the show someone came up to me and was like you guys remind me of ghost um and i was like who's that and um he said oh you got to check it out it's fantastic and he pointed me to the the demo that they put out um before before opus eponymous uh oh yes had, i think it had elizabeth and ritual on it it was a two two song like a like a 45 or something and um and I heard it and I was like, holy shit, these guys are incredible. Um, and I was like, immediately felt like it was a big compliment to be compared to them. And then uh, their first album came out and it was, uh, I think, excellent. Uh, and I could, I could see what was going on. Like the, the guy, uh, Tobias Forge sings, um, he's got a similar voice to me in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah. And I think that's where the big comparison ends up happening is that his voice is similar. Um, and and then they they put out the um, the one that Dave Grohl produced. What, what is it? The... Uh, the cover album, the cover EP, and then the next album and the next album. And then everyone was, saw them become famous and everyone hated ghosts suddenly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, and it's cool the same, the same thing. Now. <laughs> yeah. It's like they, they became famous. So everyone hated them. Cause it's like, Oh, and you know, I can see, I can see where some of that hatred is coming from. Like they got famous 
by like pushing themselves as like doom metal and black metal and they, they aren't really either of those things um but they recognized that uh those are communities that like to sort of like hang on to what they've got and uh <laughs> you know like if you want to make someone that's like a like a true black metal fan angry uh really something that's definitely not black metal and cult <laughs> black metal um and suddenly you have you have like a year worth of free advertising in by people of that community showing their friends what they shouldn't like yeah <laughs> and uh, and that's what that's what happened with ghost is that they um uh sort of rode that um controversy you know it's like we can if we have an album that's good music right because i think i think it's really hard to uh, there isn't a very compelling argument for um ghost has bad songs you know like say whatever you want about them but um the songwriting is you know like uh, i think it's top tier and uh, i wouldn't be surprised if we see tobias forge like you know writing the song that goes in the ending credits of movies oh, or um you know like writing for other artists or whatever it is uh in 10 years yeah um he's a he's an excellent songwriter and maybe heavy metal isn't the genre that people want to hear those songs in but but um a good song works in any in any style um and I, I think it's a compliment to be compared to someone like that, even even if you don't like um, the band. And I, I do happen to like Ghost, um, but I, I do prefer um, their their first record. I think is is right in that sweet spot of uh, of like the type of production that I like and the type of songs that I like. Um, uh, yeah, their, their new their new stuff reminds me a bit more of like of Kiss or something. It's like it's very much like written for the stadium. Um, which is uh, which is great. I mean, it shows he's he's uh, he's writing for his audience. Yeah. So he's he's he knows that he's famous and he's writing songs that work better in that that uh, stadium. And if you've ever seen a band, I think that I saw. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Mastodon. Mm. They uh, um, they became quite popular at some point, but um, they were. I saw them probably in 2005 opening for Slayer, and they blew me away. It was incredible. I thought they were like the best uh, heavy band I'd ever seen, and. Mm uh went back to see them again uh years later um and they were playing like more like a headlining spot at a at a festival and they sounded like dog shit um and what happened was they're playing these songs with really busy drumming and fast double kicks and stuff in a giant room where it's just the you're still hearing the the decay and the reverb from the last note 10 notes later so it just sounds like a mush yeah and it sounds excellent on the record and, and it sounds excellent in a smaller venue, but in a big stadium, you need to play slower. Uh, you need to have less kicks. <laughs> like uh, you need to have rhythms that are easy to follow. Otherwise um, your audience is going to get completely lost. And um, it's just, that's just kind of how it is. And uh, I think that's why you see some bands that sort of are in a position to become more popular, start doing things like, um, you know, selling out two nights in a smaller venue instead of doing one big show. And yeah. um, I really appreciate that. Uh, it's probably more fun to play the big show, but I think they're doing their fans a service by doing the smaller shows because they're making sure they're going to sound right. Um, so I, I think that's what happens with uh, with bands like with, like Ghost is that they they grow out of their means and they have to they're forced to change their sound and end up you know instead of writing like um, like I don't even know what they sound like. I guess Blue Oyster Cult was the comparison that they that was they would get. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So instead of sounding like Blue Oyster Cult, um, they had to start writing a little bit more like um, like Def Leppard or something. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, very good. Yeah. Like Def Leppard sort of makes that stadium sound part of their recording with the, the big reverb on the kicks and the snares uh, and the big crowd vocals and stuff like that. And they do a great job of emulating that. I think, I think Def Leppard has um, some excellent songs. And again, with Def Leppard, I, I think I would prefer the albums were produced differently, but they were trying to sell to that like stadium rock audience. And, you know, in the eighties, that was the audience. Like yeah. it was, they were playing the most popular style of music. So it worked. Um, and, you know, I would love to see some, some um, underground bands that are, have a sound that's closer to what I like cover some of those songs to show, you know, show the underground that those are great songs. They're just not recorded in a style that you like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like that thinking. It, it'll be an interesting conflict uh, for yourself potentially to have years down the line, whether um, you stick to, the, the conflict of, oh, do we do the two venues a night thing and sell them out? Or, or are you big enough to go to a stadium or an arena and play that way? <laughs> what, a, what a lovely problem to have that would be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it is an, it's an odd pairing, though. The retro rock in 2020, when the entire world has turned to online platforms to try and keep themselves interested and moving forward as well when it comes to no gigging. Um, how are King Gorman, I guess yourself, uh, handling the pressure of being a socially active band on, you know, the platforms? Because there's so many of them now and there's such pressure for you to do it all the time. Oh, God, it's, um, that's, <laughs> I don't even know. Um, I've been just learning technology, constantly trying to keep up with stuff. Oh. Um, I do a lot of um, the production on my projects myself. Um, mm. For that album, I, I think I really just mixed it. Um, so someone else, someone else mastered it and someone else uh, did the engineering on it. But um, for the, the Old Man Wizard album I'm working on, I engineered it and mixing and mastering it. So it's like um, just a lot of different things going on. And I think to a lot of people that seeing that process and seeing the stuff that goes into a, a song or a recording is interesting. And I've been doing like music production live streams um, and sort of like as a, as a replacement for shows almost just yeah trying to be consistent with um, you know here's showing my process and showing what that looks like and figuring out how to do the picture in picture where it's my face in the corner talking at you know at an empty room that hopefully has commenters watching <laughs> yeah oh, so uh, a bit of that and um, essentially trying to put um, videos and content together as best as I can to um, be ready for uh, when and if um, I can do it the same way I was doing it before. But uh, I, I'm, I don't trust that that'll happen anytime terribly soon, yeah. um, especially in the United States. Uh, just the, the response here has been uh, just catastrophic. And um, I don't know what it's like in England right now, but um, our not great, mate. Not great. Not great. Our, 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 yeah, our, our government uh, bounces between denying that it's there and um, and having like a <laughs> uh, you know some kind of a. Uh, we have the mini version of your president and leading. Yeah, you got uh, what's his name, Bo Boris, right? That's <laughs> yeah, the, that's the geezer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. What 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 a time to be alive, right? Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I I'm not um, I'm not putting a lot of eggs in the um, things will go back to normal soon because I don't think normal was working before. So I'm expecting things to go to some other place and. Um, in order to be prepared for whatever that place is, I'm trying to trying to pick up as many new skills as I can right now. <laughs> um, so who knows? I'm just trying to go as hard as I can with being able to make a an album front to back 
inside of my own home studio basically yeah yeah <laughs> can't believe how much you're managing to do in all this time and the, the, you know the last question was gonna be well what plans if any if any because that's the fact of it do you have for the rest of 2020 um there's a chance that the new old man wizard record will be out before the end of the year cool 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 um it's it's close enough to being done and um and uh church recordings the label that put out the king gorm album um has expressed some interest i don't want to say that they've they've picked it up because it's not that's not official or anything but we've talked about it cool. and it seems like it's possible that that they'll uh put out uh the next old man wizard record and i don't know what the timeline on that looks like but it would be um if it doesn't come out this year i think the the pre-orders might be up in like maybe a, a music video or two that's cool. uh, or a single will come out I don't, i'm not sure exactly what to expect but um it's more done than i expected it to be because I've had more time to work on it than I expected. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I will let you get on then. And I presume we'll come off this call and you'll start making another album. Um, <laughs> it's been so busy. Um, Francis, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you very much for watching. You can check us out on gbhbell.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. Go to Patreon to help us out over there, that's patreon.com forward slash gbhbl, as well as Big Cartel where you can find some of our merchandise. We have a podcast running on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, and of course, if you like this video, do us a favour, hit the subscribe button and help the channel grow. Games, horror and heavy metal, what else is life for?